Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with a promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Taylor Vipolis and EJ Wilson for our weekly Ask Taylor and EJ show. Guys, we're coming off the heels of, I think, what is by far and away the worst loss of the Larry Fedora era. So before we actually get to the listener questions, you know, how are you guys feeling today? There's no game this Saturday, at least. But overall, you know, what's y'all's mood right now? For me, I kind of, I mean, I'm kind of disappointed. I know I had a lot of optimism going into this game. But just kind of seeing how the team performed, I think we really have some issues. I mean, the the penalties were still a problem. Uh, We had some problems on defense that we didn't have the week before. I don't know if that we were play, playing a better offense or because uh, we were really feeling the absence of Malik Carney, but uh, definitely feeling a lot different than I felt uh, last week. Yeah, for me, there's just a really bad taste in my mouth, and I think the only thing that could kind of solve that is playing more football, and fortunately you don't get a game this week, but you're hoping, if you're a North Carolina fan, that this team can kind of figure it out sooner rather than later and kind of find this uh, jolt that this program kind of needs. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hopefully that can come against Pitt because Larry Fedora has never lost a game to the Pitt Panthers. Although if it was going to happen, this might be the year because, man, I don't think anyone saw that ECU game coming. So let's go ahead and get to these questions then. And the first one, just right off the bat, uh, they asked you guys if the UCF game is postponed, which it is, and the, the heels happen to beat Pitt, how would you utilize Surratt for the Miami game? So I guess that kind of goes into the fact that now the suspensions from the Shoegate thing are only going to be three games. So that was another huge boost for this program. So it's hypothetical that Chaz could start against Miami, Taylor, let's start with you. How would you play that out as things stand today? Yeah, as things stand today, I would immediately make Chester at my starting quarterback versus Miami because I think ultimately he gives you that best chance to win. Uh, We saw that early last year, especially in the Louisville game, um, the first half of the Duke game. You've seen more flashes of um, somebody who could be um, the long-term option at quarterback in Chad Surratt. And then you have a significantly improved offensive line. So while offensive line may be a struggle to not create some of these lanes in the rushing, they've also haven't given up a sack yet. And they did a pretty good job in the ECU game, creating a clean pocket for Nathan Elliott. I know some of the snaps weren't there, but you were kind of getting the first game reps for Jonathan Troll. So if JJ McCargo can't go for the pit game, I'm, confident in what Jonathan Troll could do with kind of more reps and the more this offensive line kind of plays together I think the better they'll get so 
I think switching switching the quarterback can kind of jolt the team like it did last year when you first put Nathan Elliott in, and I think Chaz Surratt gives you the best chance to win. I would have to agree. I think putting Chaz in, I think that's definitely the best option, simply because, I mean, he's kind of been through the mud last year. He has a lot more game experience than Nathan Elliott. And uh, we just, like you said, we just need to jolt for this program. I mean, something has to shake these guys and let them know that, hey, nobody's going to come out here and is going to give you a game. So you need to prepare. You need to get excited about the season again. You need to refocus and get redisciplined. So I think that with uh, them not having a game this week, I think that, one, they need to try to work Chad Surratt in. And, two, I think that whatever's going on with these penalties and why we can't seem to stop getting them, I think that this is the week that you kind of you, you kind of work on that. I mean, it's it's almost like a bonus bye week, even though there's going to be some bad weather. I still think that they should get a, get together and have a chance to kind of review the season thus far and uh, see what they can do to improve uh, everything that's going wrong. Uh, we'll get into the penalties later on, guys, definitely. Let me ask you guys this as my own personal follow-up, though, to that subscriber question. What about Cade Fortin? Would you guys at all maybe try to see what he can do against Pitt next week? Or is it kind of just stick with Elliott and write it out until Chaz can maybe take over the reins in Miami? EJ, what you got for that one? I think that we should kind of hold off on that. Uh, at the end of the day, the Pitt, Pitt is an ACC opponent. And uh, Nathan Elliott does have more experience. But I think that if he doesn't come out and perform well, then I think that we should try to see what uh, what he can offer the team uh, before Chad Surratt comes back. I mean, I hate to kind of blame and dump on, on Nathan Elliott, but the simple fact is that he controls the offense and the offense is really not doing too well. So I think that he should get an opportunity, but I still think it's still uh, one week too early to pull the reins on Nathan Elliott. Yeah, I agree with EJ. I would have Nathan Elliott kind of on the short leash. He had a great game against Pitt last year where he was able to manage the game. And, you know, I don't think Pitt was really able to prepare for him as well as they're going to be able to prepare for him this year with more game film. Um, But I would have Nathan Elliott being the starting quarterback just based on the success he had against them last year. But if your offense is struggling, I would look to switch it up and put Cade Fortin in and then if Kate Fortin performs well, then you have to take that into account when Chaz Surratt's suspension is over. All right, guys, let's move on to the next question. This is from Ben Sherman, the Inside Carolina Managing Editor. You know, I guess he's a fan of the podcast, guys. He asked a question for the second week in a row. EJ, this one was mostly focused on you, but Taylor, I kind of have an offshoot of this one that, that we'll get to. But EJ, Ben wanted to get your thoughts on how was the program climate when many of the fans thought that Coach Bunting, his tenure at UNC was doomed. And how did you guys rally as a team to finish that season with a couple of wins? Because if my memory serves on the top of my head, you guys actually, I know the very last game of the season was a W, but were the, the last two games, were was it back-to-back wins that year? Oh, man, yeah, uh, that was about 12 years ago, so I really don't remember. I just know that. <laughs> I know we played Duke at the end of every season, and I know we were four. I was four and zero against Duke, but um, honestly, uh, we had so much respect for Coach Bunting and so much respect for those seniors who kind of come in and taking some of the love to put in some of the hard work to kind of keep the program going. So uh, we we really felt like we had a lot to play for. Uh, we like I said, we kind of felt like Coach Bunting got slighted because they fired. We saw them uh, fire him in the locker room right after we had just lost the game. So I mean. I, I think that if the guys really love Fedora and they really feel the same way about him as we did about Bunning, I think that they'll rally simply because they know his job's on the line. 
I mean, we just felt a certain level of responsibility to Coach Bunt because, I mean, without without him, a lot of us would have never gotten recruited, recruited or even had thought about coming to the University of North Carolina. So I think that they will rally just out of the respect and love and admiration that they have for Coach Fedora. But, I mean, it, it's time to get on the ball. I feel like that we, they, we've had talent. We've supposedly had the team on paper to compare, compete for an HSC championship, and, and we just haven't done that in a while. So uh, hopefully the guys will kind of – kind of rally up and cowboy up as uh, one of my old coaches used to say and, and pull it together and try to finish this season out strong. I mean, the, the season is still not lost, but yeah, Fedora is on the hot seat and it seems like he may be on his way out. And I think the guys will rally and if not just to try to save his job, just to try to save face and, and send him out on a great note. Gotcha. So a lot of it comes down to just that level of personal loyalty then between player and head coach, it sounds like. Correct. And then what about um, – you mentioned that, that you actually were there when they, you know, let Coach Bunting know he was going to be fired in the locker room, and I didn't – I've never heard that story before. Was that prior to, I guess, the official university announcement then that he was no longer going to be retained? Oh, yeah. It was, we all knew. We all knew that night. Uh, we knew on the trip back that uh, Coach Bunting wouldn't be brought back. And, I mean, it was just – it's like we already lost the game, and it's like we lost a positive figure too. So, I mean, that was honestly one of the worst – one of the worst uh, post-game uh, traveling routes that I've had. I mean, you you could just see it all over his face. I mean, he loved UNC. He loved his alma mater. And it's just kind of tough when all he's doing is fighting and trying to put us in the best positions to know that, hey, this this guy has to go on a job search now. Like, these last games of the season may be the last games of his coaching career. So, um, I think that that kind of – I think that just seeing and knowing that he had been fired, that definitely lit the fire up under us some more. All right. And then, Taylor, my kind of twist on this is when you were on the team in 2014, which was a another struggle of a year, I can't remember the exact record, but I just I remember it, it was overall um, what I think it'd be fair to call it a disappointing year. You know, what was kind of the mentality of the team then? It was there ever kind of like a rallying point where, as EJ said, the players just have to decide if they're going to fight in these games to try to get a win even if not for the coaches, just out of pride for, for themselves in the university? Yeah, I think that no matter what, you're always going to rally around and fight for the guys next to you. I remember we had a moment where we had like this players-only meeting, and it was kind of put on the table like, just try to figure out what's your why. Why are you playing football? Why are you doing this? You know, you might not be playing for any of the coaches. You might be playing for your family or you might be playing to get those people out of a bad spot. So I think a lot of those, we all rallied around each other and um, just try to find our purpose and what we were doing. And then I think we took it even further in 2015 where we came in with this mindset of adversity is going to hit us. And when it does, we have to be stronger. We have to fight back. And I think that was shown when we lost the first game to South Carolina, but then rallied around and strung a lot of wins together. And I think that just comes down to the leadership on the team. Was there ever any sort of rumblings that you recall in 2014 or concerns that, you know, maybe some of the coaches and even possibly Coach Fedora, that they may not be retained going into that 2015 season? I don't ever remember anything about Coach Fedora. Um, he was kind of going through the whole NCAA cloud, and mm-hmm. I think that would have bought him time regardless. But uh, the uh, the defensive coaches were definitely – we definitely heard the rumblings, and 
rumors that they were going to get replaced from the outside people, uh, Coach Koning and Coach Dish, who both actually did get let go after that season. And then I think when Coach Fedora brought in Coach Chiswick, it kind of woke everybody up because here was this coach who had this like unbelievable success and he saw something in North Carolina and he believed in us. And I think that was just another factor in seeing somebody with this great success and buying into what he was coaching because kind of like what EJ was saying that one day with Coach Davis, this is a guy who put a bunch of players in the successful situations. And if you just followed what he said, you would get there too. All right, guys, let's take a quick break to talk about Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill. Are you a UNC fan and need a quick, easy lunch or tailgate option for football season? Well, Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill is your place to go for a tasty and efficient dining solution. Our guys at Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill have partnered with the inside Carolina podcast, to offer a great deal for our listeners right now. You can use the code heels 15 to get 15% off of your online order. This is an online promotion only, but you can use it for lunch, for a small group, or even a big tailgating order. Here's how it works. You go to jerseymikes.com backslash order. It will show the the locations nearest to you. You just click order, pick your favorite sub, and at checkout, enter HEELS15 and get 15% off of your whole order. You get to skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. You can do it today. Place an online order at one of the four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations. It's super easy process. Just remember, Heels 15. There are three locations in Chapel Hill on Elliott Road off of MLK right off of I-40 and at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center on Highway 54. And then there's also one in Hillsborough right off of Exit 261. And also looks for, look for Jersey Mike's inside of Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. And also coming soon, two new locations opening near Briar Chapel in Chatham County and off of Highway 15501 on the way into Durham. There's no denying that Jersey Mike subs are delicious, so take advantage of this deal and support the IC podcast. All right, so let's get back to the questions, guys. And the next one comes from someone who is asking, between the Cal game where some of the players admitted that they weren't that into the game, which you know I think we touched upon that last week and don't think that's a very good look for the team, but, um, you know, it was at least an honest assessment. But then with the team also losing like they did to ECU, what is your assessment of the mindset of the team? Um, how do you go through spring practice and fall camp to just come out and act like you don't want to be there the two games into the season? And is that a player issue, coach issue, or both? Probably a little bit harsh there in, in that second kind of question. I mean, I, I think every player wants to do their best, but at the same time, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the effort was lacking there in ECU, especially in the second half. So, you know, Taylor, what do you think about the mindset of the team right now? And if some guys may not have the priorities straight, you know, is that something that players should be handling or is that more of a coaching thing? Yeah, the mindset of this team is extremely questionable. You know, how do you come out flat and, you know, question some of these guys' efforts? to start the season just two games in and the simple answer is you just don't and it's inexcusable to think any other way. I think that starts as a player issue first and foremost, just taking pride in your performance, but the coaching staff also has to be held responsible for allowing that mindset in the locker room. Everyone who isn't going to give you 110% on the field should just be left on the bus or in the locker room because all you're doing is just letting your brothers down and setting them up for failure. 
which is why I say it falls more on the players. But I think at the end of the day, the coaches also have to be responsible for kind of bringing in those mindsets and forming this team. All right, EJ, what about you, man? What do you, what have you observed about just the mentality of this year's heels? Uh, the mentality is definitely not where it needs to be, which is very it's so surprising to hear an athlete who's worked so hard to get the Division One college level to say that they're not into a game. Like, that's just unheard of for me. For, for me. Like, you, you create a mindset over spring ball, over workouts in the summer, over conditioning. The mindset should be there. You should be able to wake up, uh, wake up from a, a two-day coma and still have the same mindset because it needs to be so ingrained in you. But I do think that it, it does start from – it goes from the top down. I do think the coaches are responsible for the mindset of the team to, to communicate what they expect, what they need to do to win. But at the end of the day, it does fall on the players. I mean – a lot of decisions that get made, a lot of, of, of determining how the season is going to be is created in the locker room by how, how players communicate with each other, how they're working when no one's watching. But just to, to see a team come out against an in-state rival who's pretty much gotten the better of us over the last few years and just come out flat and, and not play well, especially after after one of your teammates coming out to say that our mind state wasn't there, then I, I really expected something more. And I, I'll probably say this is one of the more disappointing losses that I've witnessed from them simply coming off of a loss and and everything else is going on around this program. So I, I'm very disappointed in what's going on. And I, I don't know how you fix that during the season. I, if you don't already have the mindset uh, going into day one, I don't think that that's something that you can pick up during the year. It should already be ingrained in you. And that's actually what I was going to ask as a follow-up to both of you guys. If it comes down to you know the players ultimately having that personal responsibility, but the coaches – they're the ones that recruit the players. So these are guys that the staff saw, thought were worthy of a UNC scholarship offer, offered them, and brought them to Chapel Hill. So does all this kind of start on the recruiting front, or do you guys think that it's a situation where the coaching staff may see a kid that has a lot of natural talent and just hope that the mental side and that drive and want to comes along later on? Um, you know, EJ, I mean, you were there with some five-star, four-star defensive guys. You know, kind of where do you think that does truly begin at? I think it does begin with recruiting. I mean, you, you have to see that. And for me, with just going through Coach Bunning's recruiting, I mean, we weren't getting a lot of five-stars and four-star athletes back when I came out. Uh, I was a two-star athlete myself, but what we did have was the mindset and the mentality. Uh, Coach Bunning recruited tough guys. He recruited guys that worked hard. He recruited guys that had a certain level of heart. And, of course, once all the five-star guys start getting there, I mean, of course, you worry about guys like Marvin Austin and Quinn Coburn. like, hey, these guys have all the talent. They came in and they worked. Uh, Marvin actually hurt his back because he, he wanted to work out with some of us and the older guys. He felt like he should be doing the same weight. So I think that the mentality definitely starts on the, on the recruiting. You have to ask certain pointed questions or just ask straight up. I mean, is this something you want? Are you just coming here because of the Jordan contract or because of the facilities? Or do you really want to be here? Do you really want to be a part of this program? So I think that in recruiting, they do need to start asking more pointed questions. And even if it means not getting a four-star guy, you could take a three-star guy with heart and will, and they can completely change a program. I've, I've seen it done myself. So uh, I definitely think it starts with recruiting. Well, then Taylor, you you being a walk on, I mean, that's you know, you you had to work even harder than most to get your place on the team. So, is that something where knowing that the walk ons do have that inherent disadvantage of not being scholarship athletes, 
you know, what, what do you think? Is that just, again, does it come down to just recruiting and that initial, what you can observe about a, a high school player? So walk-ons first and foremost, you know, we're not propped up and told how great we are. Everything is this, we have to work to get it attitude. But I think everybody, you know, loves football in high school. Everybody that's playing football in high school really loves it. But once it becomes more like a job in college where it's you eat, sleep and breathe college football, that's where I don't think you could really tell it from recruiting and how much these players love it at the end of the day. So I think it's something that you have to keep an eye out in uh, high school while you're recruiting, but you can't really tell how somebody will uh, translate to once it becomes their entire life, basically. All right, guys. So then let's move on to this, where someone said that in the second half against CCU, they observed that the team eventually just gave up, which the person feels that is a function of leadership. So the question is, do you guys think that having Antonio Williams who seems to be a very vocal and optimistic voice on offense and possibly even the whole team ejected. Did that eventually lead to that collapse? Taylor, what do you think about that one, man? Yeah. Losing a leader always hurts. And Antonio Williams from speaking to the coaches and speaking to player people around the program, he's definitely one of the guys who have been in that role for UNC, even though he's barely been there, but you have to be able to have other people emerge and be able to carry that torch. And it seemed like everyone was kind of just waiting around for someone else to be that like calming presence or someone else to make that big play. And just the fact that they kept ECU and their fans in the game early, it doesn't help when, you know, everything's getting thrown at you and uh, everybody's in the crowd is rooting against you. So I just think everybody was kind of looking around, waiting for somebody to do something but nobody uh, actually rose up and was able to be that guy. Uh, And I agree. I definitely think losing a leader hurts, but uh, that's where you kind of, some of those guys that had to step in in places where they weren't supposed to be last year and play and get a lot of reps. That's where that, that's where last year is supposed to come in and help these guys. So I I think that somebody else needs to pick up the banner. You can't stand around and, and wait for someone else to say, Hey guys, let's go. I mean, go out there and lead by example. I know a lot of times, especially with young teams, kids feel like that they can't say anything or they haven't earned their keep enough to say something. But when you see a team that visibly looks like they've given up, somebody has to say something. So I think that one thing uh, they need to do is develop more leaders, not only for the fact of the mindset, but just for some of these penalty things too. I think that they need someone that's going to give them a kick in the head when things aren't going right and, um, and just lift them up as well as uh, chastise them. So I think that they'll be in a better position once this leadership develops more from your playing careers was there ever an incident where a guy got ejected from a game and if so how did that impact ej do you recall that ever happening while you were at carolina yes it did uh notre dame game i think it was 2006 where we had a big fight on the sideline we lost uh, two starting linebackers as well as our starting tight end john hamlet and uh, I think that the, the game is so lost at that point, uh, we really didn't get a big chance to see how that impacted. But I think it impacted us for the rest of that season. I mean, those guys are those guys kind of are looked at differently with the team. I mean, because you can't let your frustrations out and things like that. But I mean, other than that, I never really had someone get ejected uh, in the beginning of the game and to really have to play on without them. I know some things have changed with the new targeting and safety rules, but. 
it's not something that I, I really uh, have experience with because, like as I mentioned, when those guys get get got kicked out of the game, it was already a foregone conclusion that we were going to lose. And then Taylor, what about you? Do you ever recall that happening? The only one that kind of sticks out to me is the Baylor game and the bowl game when Matt Collins got kicked out for targeting on a downfield block. But like for a moment, there was kind of this panic, like, oh my gosh, we just lost one of our captains, one of the best players we have on offense, the best player we have on special teams. But those guys did a good job bringing everybody together. Guys like Landon Turner, Marquise Williams, Jeff Schottmer, Shaquille Rashad, they did a good job bringing everybody together and being like, yeah, Max out, but that just means somebody else is going to have to pick up his slack and we're just going to have to raise each other's performance to kind of make up for that. And while we didn't beat Baylor, um, you know, we kept it close and kept it respectable. Yeah, and, you know, ultimately I think the offense did their job. That was the Baylor game was one of the very poor showings for the defense. So before we, we wrap this up, guys, let's talk about a way to go travel. Do you want a simple, easy, and better way to travel to UNC football or basketball road games? Well, now is your chance. Heels Travel is partnered with Inside Carolina to provide easy and simple travel for select UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, the president of A Way to Go Travel, is a Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan. He wanted to find a better, easier, and more efficient way to get fans to away games. So right now, Heels Travel is selling packages to get you to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. This is a one-day bus trip from Chapel Hill. The leaves should be changing, and it is a great chance to check out a great town and cheer on the heels. It makes the process easy. You can ride with other diehard UNC fans, and you don't have to worry about parking or having to drive. So it's a win-win for you. You can visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. Also right now, Heels Travel is selling packages for the UNC basketball games in Las Vegas over Thanksgiving weekend. There's no better way to spend the holidays than watching the Heels play two games in the desert and enjoying everything that Las Vegas has to offer. That package includes a round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation from the airport to the hotel, and a three-night stay at the Aria Resort and Casino. So again, visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. All right, guys, so final questions here. And, you know, there, there were a couple questions that were asked about Coach Fedora and his tenure at Carolina and whether or not that's going to end. And, you know, I think at this point, it's pretty fair to say that the questions surrounding him are very numerous and legitimate, too. I mean, that loss against ECU, I mean, I think you said it, Taylor, in your article, it was just an excusable loss. And I think the fan base may be kind of ready to move on. But from what you guys have seen, and we'll have Taylor talk about the offense, EJ, you talk about the defense. If the Heels are going to turn this season around, they, they dug themselves into an 0-2 hole. They start ACC play next week against Pitt. They have 10 days to get ready for that game. What must the team do? So, Taylor, let's start with you and get your thoughts on the offense there. In terms of game plan, it, it might sound crazy to some people, but I wouldn't change much of what UNC is doing because after like, I go back and I watch the game film, I think it comes down more to the players executing and just trusting that the coaches are putting them in the right position on both sides of the ball. You're going to need elevated play from your quarterback position, whether it's Nathan Elliott rising up, Cade Fortin coming in, or once Chaz Surratt 
is finished with his suspension, but you need better play from your quarterback. Running back, you're getting Michael Carter back, so that should be a boost to what is probably already your strongest position so far on offense. Your offensive line, yeah, they're not creating the biggest holes, but they're creating enough holes and they're giving the quarterback enough time. And then your receivers, which I think has been the most disappointing unit so far on the offensive side of the ball, their receivers just have to create more separation and you need a number two legit option outside of Anthony Ratliff-Williams. Deami Brown was this guy that was raved about by everybody around the program, but he he hasn't done much so far in two games. Um, Daz Newsome hasn't really shown he could be much more than somebody who could just get jet sweeps in an offense. Thomas Jackson's a player that I expect to kind of step up as one of the leaders on this team, rally guys around him, and uh, hopefully you could start to see him perform better on the offensive side, um, especially if you get better play from your quarterback because – he was doing a great job in 2016 when he was playing with guys like Switzer and Matt Collins and Buck Howard. So I think as an offense, it's just all comes down to execution. All right, DJ, what about the defense, man? They had an okay game against Cal, but ECU just fell apart there in the second half. What can they do to turn that around? I think they need more consistency up front. Uh, without uh, Malik Carney in there, you could kind of notice that that was a different defense. And I, I'm I'm just kind of sitting there waiting for my guy Samaj Fox to kind of step up and and be the player that he should be the player that he showed flashes that he could be last year. And of course, you know me. Uh, if you've heard me on any other podcast or anything else for Inside Carolina, I always stress uh, defensive line play. I don't think that anyone on the other defense can be successful. I don't think the scheme can the scheme can be successful if the defensive line is not doing their job. If they're not getting knocked back on the run. If they're not getting consistent pressure on the quarterback. And it doesn't necessarily mean sacks every time, but hit them, just make them feel uncomfortable back there. I know that's really what I was kind of looking forward to against uh, ECU. So I think that they need to step it up, get some consistency up front, and everybody else just needs to calm down and play their game. I mean, they've shown that they can have a pretty good outing, which they did against Cal. They just need to determine what defense they're going to be, what's going to be their personality. Are they going to come out and set the tone and hopefully the offense will follow? But uh, I really don't think that anything really needs to be changed scheme-wise. Guys are in position. You just have to go out there and execute, and you have to be uh, show the coaches and, and kind of validate them on the reason why they gave you a scholarship and brought you into their program anyway. So uh, I think that we just need to, to step up, get some leaders, and have guys play up to their talent uh, instead of just waiting for someone else to make a play. And then very final last question here. If a decision is going to be made about Coach Hodora, whether his time in Chapel Hill is over or he is going to be here next season, when would you guys think would be the optimal time to break that news? During the season, after a game, at the end of the season, you know, what do you think about that? EJ, start us off with this one, man. I would definitely say after the season. I mean, you always want uh, to give a guy a chance to, to finish strong, to finish on a good note without having to look over his shoulder. And then you also, I mean, some guys aren't as high character as others. Uh, you don't want to put a, a situation where uh, your players start to quit on you or they start to act out because they know, hey, it doesn't really matter what I do here with this coach discipline-wise or playing-wise. We're going to have a whole new regime and a whole new program in here next year. So I definitely think that that's something that should wait till the offseason. Uh, I think you should coach the best opportunity to tell his players in their own way because, I mean, it's going to be an emotional an emotional decision uh, and emotional for him communicating that with his players. So uh, I always think that coaching moves and coaching decisions are best uh, – 
made after the season unless there's a, a blatant character issue or the coach does something unbecoming of the university. It's something that can wait till the end of the season. All right, wrap it up for us, Taylor. What's your thoughts, man? Yeah, I agree with EJ. I wouldn't make a decision in the season. Um, you're trying to hold on to, especially with the early signing day, you're trying to hold on to whatever recruiting class you do have. And changing a coach is kind of putting a lot of pressure on the rest of the coaching staff. And if you do bring in somebody new, um, less time to kind of hold this class together. And then I think that if you do fire a coach, there's a lot of people who are playing for Coach Fedora and you don't want to risk them kind of just quitting entirely on the team. Like I've seen a lot of people mention, you know, firing Coach Fedora in season and bringing in somebody from the outside of the program. And I think that's that would be a crazy idea for me because that way that person just looked as as an outsider and, you know, the team would look at them as somebody who didn't put in the work with them during spring, all of summer, all of fall. This guy's not the guy who recruited me. This guy, you know, I don't know what his motives are coming in for, you know, six weeks of the season. So if if you were to make a move, I would wait until the end of the season and uh, after that first signing day period. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks again. We will be back next week. But for everyone listening in, if you are in the path of the hurricane that's coming in, absolutely please be safe. Be careful if you travel. But for all of us here at Inside Carolina, we appreciate it. Taylor, EJ, thanks again, guys. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.